People ask me all the time, Michael, what was your big break? Our next guest has performed on Comedy Central's Premium Blend. He made his first appearance on The Tonight Show from the Montreal Comedy Festival. You've seen him on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That wasn't a big break. The big break was at a club. And right before I got on stage, I had a change in mindset about comedy. Normally when a comedian gets on stage, he wants to get laughs from people. And I felt a little shift take place where I felt like I was to go up there and give them an opportunity to laugh. Now I'm not looking to take, I'm looking for an opportunity to give. This changed everything. My name is Michael Jr. I'm gonna do some jokes. And ultrasounds come in color now, which is ridiculous. I know it's a black baby. It better be a black baby. I leave the club that night, and there's all these people giving me hugs and high fives, telling me their favorite jokes. Then I look across the street, and I saw a homeless guy. And I thought to myself, what about him? Most comedy, most jokes are set up. My son, four years old, looks at me out of nowhere, and he says, Dad, I want to be a doctor. I was like, yes, yes. And then a punchline. Then he said, or a dinosaur. I understand that me doing comedy and doing all of these TV shows and making all these people laugh is really just a setup. My punchline is to make laughter commonplace in uncommon places. We go to Montrose, Colorado, a place called the Dolphin House. They take care of children who have been abused by their parents. And his grandmother explains to me that her um, grandson is being abused by his mom. He's so afraid of his mom that everywhere he goes, he wears a Spider-Man costume. So I get on stage, sitting right up front, Spider-Man. I start doing comedy. People start laughing, slowly but surely. Probably about 25 minutes into it, I hear a voice, and the voice says, my name is Ronan. And this little boy pulls off his mask. And it was one of the most powerful moments in my entire comedy career. Here's the deal. If we could just stop asking the question, what could I get for myself? and start asking the question, what can I give from myself? I think people would learn that you don't have to be a comedian to deliver a punchline. It's really what I want to get across to people. And I think I just did. I'm gonna walk off dramatically. So is it better to give or to get? The comedian we just met, Michael Jr., says a shift took place in his spirit when he decided to try to give laughs rather than get laughs. So is it really better to give than to get? I think we'd all probably say yes. I mean, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But here's a curious thing. We live as though it's better to get. I mean, think about it. What, what would get you more excited Giving someone a raise or getting a raise? <laughs> what motivates you at work? Giving someone praise for a job well done or getting praise for a job well done? What do you look for in relationships? To give love or to be loved? And so we have this curious thing where we, we say that giving is better, but we live as though getting is better. 
we spend considerable amount of time, energy, thought, effort from day to day and week to week trying to get more good things. Meaning, joy, love, happiness, fulfillment, money, stuff. We order our daily lives and activities around getting. Now, it turns out there's actually some science behind this. Christian Smith is a highly regarded sociologist at Notre Dame. And recently, he and a colleague released a book based upon some studies they've been doing. And the book is entitled The Paradox of Generosity. They surveyed thousands of people. They conducted scores and scores of interviews and in-home visits. And they discovered two remarkable paradoxes about generosity. And the first is that the more people give, the more they have. The more they give, the more they have. They have more joy. They have more meaning and satisfaction in life. They have deeper relationships with people they care about. They have a greater sense of financial security, a greater sense of financial freedom. And this is true across all levels, regardless of person's income. The more generous people are, the happier they are. And the converse is also true. The stingier people are, the more unhappy they tend to be. So there's something paradoxical about that. The more people give, the more they have. The second paradox is that most Americans fail to live generous lives. In spite of what we just said, knowing what we know about giving and happiness, most Americans are not very generous. For instance, 45% of Americans give away no money at all in the course of a year. Zero dollars. Another 41% give less than 2% of their income. That means 86% of Americans give little or no money away in the course of a year. Now, a similar thing is true when it comes to giving time. 76% of Americans volunteer zero hours per month. Not one hour to the school, to the community, to the church, anything like that. There's something paradoxical about that. Knowing what we know about generosity and joy, most Americans fail to do the things that will give them more of what they want in life. So now we have to ask, why is that? Are, are we afraid it's not really true? That giving isn't better than getting? Or maybe it's true for other people, but it might not be true for us. Maybe we're just so distracted by all the other pursuits of life. We, we intend to give, we just never kind of get around to it. Maybe, maybe we kid ourselves into thinking we're generous with our time and money, and really we're not so generous after all. Or maybe we really don't even know how to give. We want to do something good, but where, when, to whom, how much? And so we end up doing nothing. Whatever the reasons, I think we'd all agree, we have room to grow when it comes to giving. I think deep in our hearts, we want to be generous people. We know it's the best way to live. We admire people who are generous. We believe that God designed us to live generous lives. And yet for all kinds of reasons, fear, distraction, ignorance, laziness, we fail to be as generous as we could be as we'd like to be. So that's what this series is all about that we're beginning this morning. How can we begin to live more generous lives? Now, every couple of years here at Grace, every two or three years, we take some time 
to explore what the Bible has to say about one of the most important matters of daily life, our money. Every few years we do this. Now sometimes we do it around some major capital campaign. Back 12 or so years ago, we did a series called The Heart of Grace. And that campaign enabled us to build most of the buildings that we enjoy, the facilities here on the Lexington campus. Four years ago, it was the New Day of Grace campaign. And that enabled us to launch our three new campuses over the past few years. But sometimes we do these series simply because money is such an important topic. We're committed to relevance here at Grace. It's hard to get more relevant than our money. And we're committed to teaching the whole Bible here at Grace. And you can hardly open any book of the Bible without finding teaching about money. And so from time to time, we just do a series on giving. A few years ago, we did a series called Loaded simply around financial management. And many people found it helpful. People still talk about it. We get requests from other churches to use that loaded stewardship series. And so it seems like it's time for us to take some time to explore those things once again. So today we're beginning a series that's part of a larger initiative here at Grace, a generosity initiative that we're calling Next, following a God who's always on the move. We're going to be thinking together over the next five weeks about the next chapter of Grace Chapel's story. What is, where is God leading us in the next couple of years in terms of our ministry? We're also going to be thinking about the next step of generosity God might be asking each of us and all of us to take. All right, so you get it? Next chapter, next step, next initiative. That's how this whole thing hangs together. Now, unlike some other earlier campaigns we've done, this, this effort is not around over and above giving to some big special capital project. This is about our regular ongoing giving to the ongoing mission and ministry of the church. And so for the next five weeks, we'll be doing some vision casting and we'll be doing some teaching on stewardship. Now, there's more to the initiative than just the Sunday messages. You're going to be hearing some stories along the way, some faith and giving stories and ministry stories from people. We'll share some from the platform and we'll share some online as well. We're going to put some printed material in your hands in a few weeks to kind of outline some of our ideas, things that God's put on our heart for the next couple of years of ministry and explain how you can be part of it. We're asking all of our life communities to set aside one of your gatherings in the month of January to think and talk together around some of these things, the mission of the church and our participation in it. And it's all going to end five weeks from today on February 8th. We're calling it Intention Sunday, when we'll all have an opportunity to make a financial commitment to the next two years of the church's ministry. So we'll tell you more about it as it gets closer. Don't worry about all those details right now. Now, if you're like most people right about now, you're feeling a little uncomfortable. I mean, you're still wondering how you're going to pay off Christmas bills, let alone to think about being more generous. Most people get a little uncomfortable when it comes to talking about money, especially in church. You've heard the story about the, the preacher of a southern congregation, uh, one of those congregations where there's a lot of give and take between the pastor and the people. And on this particular Sunday, the pastor says, Brethren, it's time for this church to move into the future even if we have to crawl on our hands and knees. And the people said, Let it crawl, Reverend. Let the church crawl. He said, all right, well, once, once we learn to crawl, it's going to be time to get up on our feet and, and walk in the ways of God. Let it walk, Reverend. Let the church walk. 
feeling empowered. The pastor said, and brethren, once we begin to walk, it's going to be time to run into the world with the good news of God. And the people said, let it run, Reverend. Let the church run. And he said, folks, when we begin to give more generously, we can rise on wings and fly. And the people said, let it crawl, Reverend. Let the church crawl. That's how most folks tend to think about money in the church. And Perhaps this raises all kinds of negative stereotypes for you about churches and money. Maybe it brings to mind some bad experiences you've had along the way. It does not have to be that way. In my experience, these kinds of series, these kinds of efforts have always led to great spiritual growth in my life as a leader, as a pastor, as a follower of Christ, and also in the life of our church as well. So I am really excited about the series and about all that's going to happen here over the course of the next five weeks or so. Now, I should say, if you happen to be visiting this morning, maybe your New Year's resolution is to go back to church, or maybe you were with us for one of the Christmas services, you decided to come back for a visit, we're glad you're here, you should know we don't talk about money all the time at church. Every two or three years, we do. We don't apologize for it, we go after it very practically and honestly. So I think you'll find some help here for your personal finances, and you'll get a good glimpse into what this church is all about. So, all that being said, let's jump into our first passage. We're going to be in uh, the book of 1 Timothy, Paul's letter to a pastor named Timothy, chapter 6, just three verses, 17 through 19. We'll look at the verses one at a time, and I'll offer three principles for living a more generous life. And the first principle is that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have, including our money, is a gift from God. Let's look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. A couple things we should notice right away. First of all, there were rich people in the church, and Paul was okay with that. He doesn't, he doesn't scold them for having money. He doesn't question their spirituality. He doesn't tell them to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. He simply warns them about the dangers of having money, dangers like pride and self-reliance. Now, there were also materially poor people in that church, and early in the chapter, he talks to them, and he warns them of the dangers of not having much money, dangers of covetousness and greed and, uh, and discontentment. So money can be a problem for anyone, whether you have a lot or a little. But when Paul says here, command those who are rich in this present world, he's talking about us. Now, you may not think of yourself as rich, but if you woke up in a warm, dry house this morning, if you'll enjoy three square meals today, if you have a way of getting around town, if you could choose which clothes you were going to put on today, you are richer than two-thirds of the people in this world. So here we are, and Paul's talking to us about our wealth. And I, I had to acknowledge that as I read these words, I, I find myself hearing them in a kind of a different way than I have before. As you can imagine, I over the years I have done lots of teaching on on stewardship and giving, and this is probably my ninth or tenth capital campaign or stewardship series I've done over the years. But I found myself, I find myself in a different kind of a spot now, financially. 
For years, every time we approached one of these series, Karen and I, as we wrestled with God's call on our lives, we were always operating from, from a kind of a scarcity perspective. We were raising a growing family. And all the needs that go along with that, housing and clothing and food and education and more food and all those kinds of things, and then an uncertain future. So we are always challenged, how can we be generous even as we try to, to pay the bills from week to week? We'll suddenly find ourselves in a somewhat different season of life. In a couple of months, we'll make our last tuition payment. 16 years of college are going to be behind us. We've got three weddings behind us now. Got a little ways to go on our mortgage, but the end of that is in sight. Karen and I are both working full-time. We're probably in, in one of the more, most prosperous seasons of our lives. Now, we're not on easy street. <laughs> we're still parents. As every parent knows, you never stop being a parent, and it takes money to be a parent even when your kids are growing up. <laughs> and it's scary when the experts tell you how much money you need to be able to retire even comfortably, let alone securely. And so we certainly have a ways to go. But here we are entering maybe the most prosperous season of our life. So what does it mean for us to be generous in this season of life? I need the Lord to show me, to show us, what our next step of generosity is going to be. And this series is going to help us, to help all of us, make those kinds of decisions. So I'm excited about that. So what we find out here is there's, there's nothing wrong with having money, but there are some dangers. And one of the dangers is the danger of being arrogant. Now that sounds a little bit harsh. All Paul is saying is that when we have some money, we tend to believe what our culture tells us about money, that it makes us important, that it makes us desirable, that it makes us happy, that it makes us secure. The other problem is when you have a little bit of money, it over time, it makes you self-reliant. We tend to rely upon ourselves and our, and our savings account or our credit cards or our portfolio to ensure happiness and security and health and all the things that matter in life. But Paul reminds us that money is very uncertain. It can't guarantee any of those things. I mean, you can spend a lot of money on a vacation and have a really lousy time. <laughs> Sickness, bad weather, people not getting along. You can spend a fortune, have a lousy vacation. You can spend very little money and have a wonderful vacation. You can buy a big, comfortable home in a good school district and have a very unhappy home. You can have all kinds of money socked away for retirement. But the market goes bad, a health crisis hits, and those years look very different than you ever thought they were going to look. Money is so uncertain. I mean, the Great Recession of 2009 should have taught us that. You can go to bed rich and you can wake up poor. We all know people who have lots of money and are unhappy, unhealthy, and in all kinds of messes. A, a quick look at the checkout counter, the tabloid magazines will tell us that. So don't trust money to secure what really matters in life. At the same time, money can be a wonderful gift. It can provide us with opportunities and advantages that, that we would not have had otherwise. So it's okay to have money. It's okay to make money. It's okay to enjoy money in ways that are good for you and for the world. The only thing to remember, Paul says, is that money is a gift from God. You say, wait a second, Pastor, I earned that money. 
I worked hard for that money, and that's true on a certain level. But just remember, there are millions of people in the world working as hard or harder than we are. People who are as smart or smarter than we are, who are making far less money than we are, or no money at all. We happen to live in a free, prosperous, free market nation that enables us to enjoy the benefits of money well earned. That's not the case everywhere. Everything we have is a gift from God. The money we have, our minds, our bodies, our personality, our skill, our talent, our education, gifts from God. What this reminds us of is that giving begins with God. Our God is a generous God. He's been giving from the beginning. He gave us this world to enjoy. He gave us minds and bodies and spirits by which we can relate to each other and to Him and to the world. He gives us meaningful work to do. He gives us people to love and laugh with. He gives us all these things. And when, when we turn our back on Him, when we make a mess of things, he, he gives us His Son who gives up His life to bring us back to Himself. So giving begins with God. We serve a generous God, a God who loves to give good gifts to His children. So feel free to enjoy them. Just don't trust them to make you happy. The second principle is that God gives so we can share. God gives so we can share. It's not just for our own enjoyment that He gives us these things. It's for the benefit and betterment of others in the world. Look at verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Command them to do good. The them is us. <laughs> He gives us things so that we can do good with those things. He is generous to us so that we can be generous with others. We're just coming off the Christmas season. I'm guessing that you gave some thoughtful gifts to people that you love. And you gave them those gifts so that they could enjoy them, do good things with them. If you gave a child a board game, you don't intend them to hide it in their room and play it by themselves. You want them to play with their friends or their brothers and sisters. If you gave your mom perfume, you don't want her using it to deodorize the kitty litter. <laughs> right? When you give a gift to somebody, you give it in hopes that they'll use it the way it was meant to be used, in a way that will be good for them and good for others. The same way God has given us gifts, financial gifts, relational gifts, spiritual gifts, not just for our own enjoyment, but that we might use them in ways that, that bless other people as well. To make the world a better place, a safer place, a healthier place, a happier place, a more just place, a more beautiful place, a more Christ-filled place. Christian Smith defines uh, generosity this way. The virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. The virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. God is generous with us so we can be generous with others. He gives us things so that we can do good for those who need good done for them. He asks us to share what we have with those who need what we have. And we know there are many, many people in this world who are in great, great need. Some of them are in great material need. 1.7 billion people in our world today lack access to clean water. 
It's about a fifth of the world's population. 1.4 billion people in the world live in extreme poverty, barely surviving. Every 10 seconds in our world, a child dies of a preventable disease. Now, God has given us water and food and homes and health care and money so that we can not just take care of ourselves, but we can share with those who have great needs. And one of the best ways to do that, one of the best ways to get that help to the people who need it is to give to your local church. No, to give through your local church to people in need. And think about our Christmas offering. This past Christmas, we had an opportunity to give thousands of rich people here in greater Boston, all of us, an opportunity to give fresh water to thousands of people in Turkana, Kenya. $80,000 plus we were able to give. And here's the exciting thing. Some of us have been to Kenya. We've met the Turkana people. I danced under a tree with the Turkana people. We prayed over some of those solar-powered wells. We saw the impact they could make on the welfare of a whole culture full of people. We know personally our partners there. We've seen the work they do. We know their names and how they get it done. When you gave to that project, that money is going directly to that work. I mean, how else can you give so intelligently, so efficiently, but, but through your church? That, that money will be on its way this week to provide fresh water for people. When you give to and through your church, you're, you're not only giving to meet material needs around the world, you're also giving to meet spiritual needs, and sometimes right here at home. You're giving to children who need a safe and loving place to experience the love of God for the very first time. You're giving to teenagers who need guidance and belonging at a very formative time of life. You're giving to young adults who need wisdom and mentoring as they lay a foundation for their personal and professional lives. You're giving to marriages that need to be strengthened. You're giving to parents who need wisdom and encouragement. You're giving to mature adults who are looking to use their gifts and their wisdom and their experience at this new season of their lives. You're giving to spiritual seekers who can find help in Alpha. You're giving to hurting families who can find help in divorce care. You're giving to widows and widowers who participate in grief share. You're giving help to people who are breaking free of hurts, habits, and hang-ups at Celebrate Recovery. When you put offering in the plate, money in the plate, when you send off your check, you're not giving to your church. You're giving through your church to people. And think about it. As what better, more intelligent, responsible way to give than to give through your church? I mean, think of all the organizations and causes you give to. And I hope you give to many. There's many places to give. But of all of them, the one you know the most about is probably your local church. You know the leaders. You know the mission and the values and the priorities of that church. You, you know where the money's going. You can see the results of it. You know the people who are making good use of it. You get to decide how that money will be used. It's one of the most intelligent, effective, and immediate ways to do good with your money 
is to give to and through your local church. And when you do, you begin to experience the joy of a generous life. And that leads to our third principle. When we give, we truly live. When we learn to give generously, we begin to live abundantly. Look at verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves and a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And that brings us back to where we started, to this paradox of generosity. See, see, we think, we fear that if we give things away, money, time, energy, love, we'll have less of those things, that our lives will be diminished. But the opposite is true. When we give those things away, money, energy, time, love, we find we have more of the very things that we're giving away. Now, we may not have more dollars in our bank account, that's true, but we will have more financial freedom, more financial security, more financial joy than those dollars ever could have purchased for us. When we give, we truly live. The life that is truly life, as Paul calls it. Now, for the past couple of months, as we prepared for this series, I've been having conversations with people who love to give. Now, some of these people I know give to many, many causes and have been able to give large amounts of money over the years to a variety of causes. Some of these folks uh, give smaller amounts, but they've given faithfully over many, many years. And so I've asked them to have conversations with me and, and, and to tell me their giving story. How did they get started? What have they learned along the way? I've had a great time in those conversations along the way. You're going to, to hear some of them uh, as we make our way through this series. But as I've had these conversations, I probably have had two dozen at least, two things have been true of, of every person I've talked to. The first thing they've all said is that they have received far more than they have given. They've received far more than they've given. More joy, more fulfillment, more satisfaction, more belonging, more fun, than they ever could have bought with that money had they used it some other way. If I heard it once, I heard it 20 times. You can't outgive God. They've received far more than they've given. The second thing I heard from every one of them is that they could each point to defining moments on their generosity journey, to lessons learned, to steps taken that have led them to experiencing a generous life. Some of them talked about about that journey beginning in childhood as they put their pennies in the offering plate on a Sunday. Some of them talked about the first time they sat in church and heard the word stewardship or what the Bible has to say about money. Some of them talked about their first capital campaign that they participated in. They talked about conversations or decisions they made as a, as a married couple or as a, as a family. Some of them talked about the year they start, decided to start tithing, giving 10% of their income. Some talked about the year they decided to go beyond tithing. Some talked about seasons of hardship in which they decided to keep on giving even though it was financially difficult and they found God to be faithful. I had a great, great time talking to these people. It got me so excited about this series because I believe over the course of the next five weeks we are all going to have opportunities to learn some lessons and take some steps that can lead us to the kind of joy and fulfillment and security that these people have shared with me. So I'm so excited about those conversations. I'm going to share one of them with you this morning. 
So I've asked Don and Teresa Nelson if they'll come join me on the platform a little bit and share some of their story. Can we welcome them as they come up? Because I, I should point out the obvious, Don and Teresa were not begging for a chance to talk to thousands of people about their money and their giving. But I asked them if they would, and they kindly agreed. Part of what we want to do here is get comfortable talking about money together in the context of our faith. So uh, just take a moment, introduce yourselves, and kind of maybe how you got started at Grace Chapel. Well, we've been coming to Grace Chapel for about 14 years now um, since we moved back to Massachusetts from spending a couple of years in California. Um, Don and I are both originally from the East Coast, but we actually met when we were out in San Francisco working in the technology industry there. So um, we moved back here, and we lived about 40 minutes away, and we were driving here on Sunday mornings to attend services at Grace Chapel, and we quickly saw that this was the church where we wanted to raise our family. So when it was time for us to start thinking about having children, we kind of took out a map, drew a circle around Grace Chapel and said we have to find a house somewhere nearby so that we can raise our children here. And God provided um, a great house for us very close by. So our kids, we have two girls now, and they're very active here indeed. They are being raised here in this church at Grace Chapel, and we're grateful. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Teresa. Uh, tell us a little bit about... Um we talked about this idea of a, of a uh, journey of giving, of defining moments. Talk a little bit, you know, maybe a moment or two sure. in your journey. Yeah. Sure, it, it definitely did have a start. Uh, mm -hmm. Teresa and I were uh, early in our dating relationship. We were uh, out in San Francisco in the mid to late 90s at the height of the internet bubble. Mm -hmm. Both of us working for very successful companies and uh, at the time there was certainly a lot of money sloshing around and uh, certainly the rise of a uh, car culture in my company. So certainly late, tw late 20s, mid 20s people, uh, a lot of guys going out buying sports cars and things of that nature. And uh, there became a lot of pressure for me to kind of keep pace uh, with that culture. At the time I was driving my 10 year old Honda Civic with 200,000 miles on it. <laughs> and uh, our parking lot looked like a German car dealership. <laughs> and, um, and Every email I would get from my team at the bottom would have some comment like, can you go buy a car today? Please, please, you're embarrassing. <laughs> and um, so, but I was still unsettled by it. And uh, it just didn't feel right. And so I prayed about it at the time. And, and God laid two thoughts on my heart at the time. One, there's nothing wrong with having a nice car. Uh, the, other, the other one was, maybe you should give away the money now and uh, think about that car later. And uh, so that's, that's what we did. It was a hard decision at the time uh, to kind of run contrary to what everybody else was doing. But we had a friend that was uh, heading off on a mission trip for two years trying to raise support. And we took all that money and we gave it to her. And uh, we, we moved forward with that. And uh, an interesting thing happened uh, with that was uh, um, that was a seed of generosity that was planted in what would become our marriage, mm -hmm. uh, something that we hadn't anticipated. Um, and uh, that seed grew over the years and became more and more important to us. Um, and we became more and more careful about the things that we would allow into our lives that might compromise our ability to be generous in our lives. And uh, so it became something that we were very, very careful, mm -hmm. careful about. And uh, within my company, I still get a lot of pressure about it, but I would just tell people that, you know, somebody else is driving my expensive car right now. <laughs> and they would ask why. And I tell the story and suddenly all that pressure stopped. Yeah. 
but it was a, it was an important moment for us. I'm sure it's just about a car, but it was an important relationship moment for us that really set us on a on a, a different trajectory in our relationship and our marriage. Good, good, thanks. Uh, one of the things we've also talked about was the the value of giving to your local church. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means for you in terms of Grace Chapel. Sure. Uh, Teresa talked about uh, the importance of grace to our family. It's, it's, it's hard to underestimate the impact that it has had on us, on our daughters, on our, on our marriage, and on our lives. And, um, and so we feel very, very strongly that um, we are called to give and support the local church, period. Um, and so we are blessed to be able to give to a variety of ministries. But when we look at it as a portfolio, there's only one top slot in that portfolio, and that's Grace Chapel. Yeah. And the reason why that is is because we have yet to see the type of impact that we have seen that comes through this church, whether it be in our family, in our community, and around the world. Pastor Brian was giving some great examples mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. And so we very carefully say no mm -hmm. to other requests mm -hmm. from other groups so that we can say yes more often to Grace because mm -hmm. we, we have not found uh, a better place for us to be able to, to give. And we experienced that paradox that Pastor Brian was talking about, that when you give, you hope and expect that the recipient of that gift would experience blessing and joy from that. But what we've been continually surprised about is that we experience blessing and joy from the gifts that we give. And so we're just so thrilled about this next campaign and all that we... Uh, the the initiative that we have coming up and everything that we have still to learn in this area because it's been such a blessing. So thank you. Well, thank you guys. Can we thank the Nelsons for sharing with us? When we give, we truly live. That's the lesson number one in our series uh, this, this winter. The Bible tells us that. Uh, research tells us that. And our own experience tells us that. I'm thinking again about the comedian we heard from earlier, Michael Jr. And he happens to be a committed Christ follower. Many of us are familiar with him from the Leadership Summit where we've heard him the past couple of years. Michael's enjoyed a certain degree of success financially and professionally. Late night TV shows, comedy clubs across the country. But what did he say was the most meaningful moment of his comedy career? It was the day he gave the gift of laughter to a frightened little boy who took off his Spider-Man mask and said, my name is Ronan, and danced on stage with him. Those are the kinds of things that happen when we begin to live generous lives. So is it really better to give laughs than to get laughs? Is it better to give money than to get money? Is it better to give time than to get time? Is it better to give love than to receive love? Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times yes. Because when we give, we truly live. Let's pray about that. We thank you, Lord, as we have so many times in these moments for speaking to us so directly, so powerfully, so clearly from your word about such an important and practical aspect of life. We thank you for the abundance that we enjoy, materially, relationally, and spiritually. We thank you for inviting us to join you in your, uh, in your work in this world by sharing that ab abundance with others. We thank you for the joy it brings to us and others when we give. And we ask that you would help us over these next weeks 
to grow in our understanding and our practice of generosity for our own joy, for your glory, and for the good of the world. We thank you now for an opportunity to come to your table and be reminded one more time of your great love for us. Meet us here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.